from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 426. Today's show is brought to you by DoorDash, ZocDoc, Rogue Amoeba, and New Relic. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. Are you home now? Sure am. Oh, good. That's good. Welcome Feels back. good. Thank you. Uh, the time in the evening, you know, it's not so good. I liked recording it that one time we did it in the morning. You know, that was nice. I like doing that. Yeah. You know, back in the evening again. And I have a hashtag snow talk question. It comes from Will. Will wants to know, Jason, is there a more beautiful baseball park, ballpark, than Oracle Park? I'm not even a Giants fan, but I'll watch Giants home games just to see the baseball on the waterfront. Um, hey, Will. I, I, I think you're right, although it's very hard for me to judge because that's the ballpark I've been to the most of any ballpark. But I would say it's my favorite. Is there a more beautiful ballpark than Oracle Park? I will recommend a couple. Um, PNC Park in Pittsburgh is beautiful. And also on the water. It's on uh, it's on the river in Pittsburgh. And uh, Petco Park in San Diego is great. It doesn't have the water view, but it's right there on the water. And San Diego is awesome. So those are those are my other, I'd say, two favorites right now. Um, there, are, there are lots of nice ballparks and lots of kind of boring ballparks. But... It used to be that baseball parks were bad, and then they built a bunch of good ones. So that's good if you're a baseball fan, wherever you live. Because I think almost, uh, uh, you know, sorry, Oakland. <laughs> but other, but other, oh, Sorry, Tampa. But otherwise, everybody's doing great. I, I don't know the Oakland and, and, and Tampa bunch, but... Tampa has a dome that is uh, was made a long time ago, and so you're watching baseball inside on with weird catwalks and stuff like that. And it's generally considered bad. And uh, Oakland, it's just very old and they took a good stadium and they ruined it. And now they're not maintaining it because they want a new stadium. So it's getting progressively worse. It's a sad situation. Uh, And I feel for the fans of Oakland because their owners are terrible. Yeah. There's a little baseball talk there, Mike. I know you, I know you're, you know, getting into American sports now. So me, I've only seen, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, MLB game at City Field. That's uh, oh, I yeah. went to to which is the Mets, a Mets game. The Mets play. Yeah. I haven't seen. I haven't been to City Field. I went to the old nice. Shea Stadium, but I have not been to City Field yet. Good food so options to, there. I liked it. I I went to both of the New York stadiums, and then they tore them down and replaced them with new ones that I haven't been to. So I guess I'm gonna have to go back that to New nice York sometime. Yeah, yeah. Very I was helpful looking to at some pictures of Oracle Park today when I was picking this uh, question. Mm. And I thought it did look very nice. I've driven it past there. I've been in that area a bunch of times in San Francisco. Sure. Um, and that looks like a great place to watch a baseball game, I will say. Mm, yeah, it's it's beautiful. If they hit a home run, could they hit it into the water? Or is that too far? It's called a splash hit, Mike. And yes, oh. they've hit a couple a couple hundred in there. Yeah. Yeah, splash hit? Splash hit. Wow, it's got its own name. It does. There's a little sign that counts oh. how many the Giants have hit. It's at like like 96 or something now, and then the opposing team doesn't count for that. But they've also hit about that many. So, like I said, it's about 200 so over the course splash of 22 years. Only occur at Oracle Park? Uh, no. Although they occur most often at Oracle Park, um, and it's got to be on the fly. You can also bounce it in. It could occur anywhere if you hit it hard enough. <laughs> hard enough, yeah. You could just need the nearest body of water. <laughs> However, most bodies of water are not that close. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> in is it? Did they do it in Cincinnati or maybe it was in Pittsburgh? There's one one place where the, I saw that they actually did do it, where mm. it hit into the river. 
Um, and that was very impressive because that's extremely hard to do there. It's it's uh, it's kind of hard. You got to be a left-handed hitter basically and hit it right down the line to get it out into the water on the fly into McCovey Cove, which mm. is the name of the little water out there. Um, and but they've done it, yeah, a couple hundred times. It's pretty cool. Baseball fans are going to be very happy with today's episode because I also have a baseball-related ask upgrade for you later on. This like it's like Christmas morning, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, or opening day, I guess. It it's more like more opening day. I feel like yeah, okay, that is great. the Christmas morning of baseball. Open the gate, roll out the baseballs. Here That's we go. What everybody does. Uh, if you would like to send in a question for us to open a future episode of Upgrade, just send out a tweet with the hashtag #SnowTalk or use question mark #SnowTalk in the Relay FM members Discord. And a little real-time follow-up, a listener, Chris, pointing out that uh, there is a swimming pool outside the the fence in Arizona. Um, Okay. That's not as exciting to hit it into a swimming pool, but it is kind of fun to -hmm. hit the ball into the swimming pool, and they they do hit home runs into the swimming pool there. There you go. You know, just baseball's landing in water. It's great. Splash hit. Yep. Oh, this will be the last time uh, this month that we encourage... Upgradians to go to donate to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital as we are fast approaching the end of September. Oh, yeah. I am absolutely thrilled to say that we have met and exceeded our goal that we set for ourselves this year, which was just shy of $495,000. As we record this episode, we have raised $514,785 for the kids of St. Jude. What that means, Jason, is over the last four years, the Relay FM community has come together and raised over $2 million now for the kids of St. Jude, which is an absolutely incredible thing. And uh, it's a number that I struggle to conceive of at this point. You know, it's like it's such a large number, like $2 million. So incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am, I am, and we are, we all are so thankful for the support of our listeners to raise these incredible amounts of money for the kids of St. Jude. And this is for a very incredibly good cause because St. Jude Children's Research Hospital has a simple mission, which is finding cures and saving children. Because cancer kills more children under the age of 14 than any other disease. It is a horrible thing. And with the work of St. Jude, they are both treating children who have these life-threatening diseases, but also developing research and developing uh, trials and developing cures to tackle childhood cancer. Uh, Like, for example, in 2021, they created a clinical trial which reported a more than 20-point improvement in survival rates for high-risk neuroblastoma, which is the second most common solid tumor in children. They did it using an antibody produced at St. Jude and then share this research with the whole world. This is what makes St. Jude so special for me. Uh, is that not only are there a place which can take a child's life and save it, like they did for Stephen's son, Josiah, but because they're a research hospital, they take this information and they share it with the whole world. So it may just be this one beautiful place in Memphis, but the money that you give to this hospital helps children and people all around the world. And Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, it is an opportunity in September for us to come together to fight against childhood cancer because together we can make a big impact. So I will still urge you to go to stjude.org slash relay where you can donate. If you donate $60 or more, you'll receive a digital bundle which has a wallpaper, a macOS screensaver pack, wonderfully created by Mr. James Thompson of Peacock fame, which is just unbelievable. I can't wait for people to get these. I think it was just a couple of weeks now and people will start getting... The macOS screensaver. I cannot wait. Um, I actually want to, on Friday, 
me and Stephen are going to be doing a final total celebration stream. So it's going to be on Friday, September 30th at 12 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. We're going to hang out and play some games and close the fundraising campaign. We've never done this before. Usually we just close it and celebrate in like a Discord chat between us and the people at St. Jude. But we actually this time going to close it and announce the final total. On that stream, I'm going to show the screensaver. So if Uh. you've been wanting to see what it looks like in all of its incredible glory, uh, I'm going to find a way to show some of it on the... Uh, with some, you know, really good DRM. I don't know how I'm going to do that, you know, DRM it. I basically, I'm just going to show you what my laptop looks like with it running on. Uh, so I want people to see it, but people are going to freak out when they see this thing. It's so good. All right, Mike, I direct your attention to the the uh, live Relay FM page of top donors mm-hmm. to see my official on-air $1,000 donation. Woo! Ooh, look at Relay campaign now. did it just now. Thank been you, waiting, Jason. been biding my time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was traveling and was not able to sneak in there and push put you over any of your, uh, you know, your your milestones. So I just decided I'm doing it on uh, on upgrade. Doing it live. So there it is. There it is. I can't, you know, I can't get high up on the leaderboard, but I can push it up by a thousand. So now, uh, four hundred fifty three thousand seven hundred thirteen dollars. Amazing. That's on the Relay this. campaign. So it's that, this is like that whole thing, but in, then including all of the sub-campaigns which people set up throughout uh, the month, which is incredible. The hundreds of people that have set up yes. their own campaigns. That's how we have gotten to 515,000. It's yep. something that like didn't know how that was going to go this year and could not be more thrilled uh, yeah. at, at the Bonus. how many listeners have... have but I'm, giving, I'm, not, I'm not doing one of those campaigns. I'm just doing it straight into the Relay FM. So we're now at five hundred fifteen thousand seven hundred eighty-five dollars. Yeah, you're Thank welcome. You, Jason. Boom. So org slash relay and don't forget to join us on Friday, September thirtieth at twelve PM US Eastern Time. We'll hang out, play some games, and we'll close the fundraising campaign together. Thank you so much to everybody for uh the support throughout the month. Apple Watch Ultra, I wanted to do a bit of follow out to this. Uh you don't have one, right? I do not. Okay. Alas. And I don't have one. Steven has one because he bought one. And uh, we're going to talk about that on Connected this week. So I don't think I was not planning on bringing it up on today's episode because I don't have any opinions. I still want to go to an Apple store and try one on. uh, But I'm not, you know, it's not going to be a thing that I think we're going to talk about in a lot of detail on the show. Yeah. Yeah. They sent me a Series 8, which is weird because the Series 8, there's almost nothing to say about it. Yeah. Um. And I, you know, I would love to try out the the Ultra because I think it's the the interesting product, mm-hmm. right? But um, I'm looking forward to hearing what Stephen's got to say about it. It's been really interesting as people were getting because they, they started arriving on Friday, right? And I feel like I was seeing way more people on like Twitter and Instagram and stuff with it than I was expecting. Like it really feels like, and I get it. Like people, like they want it. It's the new big fancy watch. Like people mm-hmm. that I know that aren't like rock climbers in my life, you know, getting one of these yeah, things. But exactly, it looks cool. All the rock climbers in your life. The thing that I, from the images that I've seen, the thing that seems visually most interesting to me is the flat screen. Like there's something mm-hmm. about that yeah. that looks way cooler than I was expecting. Probably just because it's different. Yeah, I mean it's it's the biggest ch- design change to an Apple Watch, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. 
I, I I'm curious about it. I've heard some people report that you know the problem is that there no there's no guard on the action button, so you can hit the action button by mistake a lot. Interesting. It's kind of funny. They mm-hmm. they guarded the other buttons, but not that one. But I don't know. I I'm I'm curious. Uh, I think the action button is very interesting in terms of software um, and user interface in a way that we haven't really had before. And I wonder, as we've speculated about, if it might be coming to the rest of the Apple Watches at some point. Have have an extra button, but that they did it here first. Um, but we'll see how useful it actually is and how good it is and how software is uh, you know, built to take advantage of it. Got some follow-up for you okay. on my iPhone setup. So yes. lasted a few more days after we spoke. You know, If you remember, I had a very bad experience with transferring my iPhone. I don't know exactly what happened. I did the device-to-device transfer, and it was really bad. And like I was signed into any applications, really. And a bunch of settings in apps got all messed up. I actually heard from a bunch of upgradians who had similarly frustrating iPhone transfers. Mm-hmm. Also, those that went perfect. Really, I feel like this is one of those things. It's like a luck of the draw. But I think what I have learned from this experience is if it doesn't work, do it again. Right, like, which is what yeah. you recommended I do, um, and I did it in the end. I got home uh, from my travels, and I had some issues with my eSIM, which was nothing to do with the Ameri- the iPhone being from America. I was just having some issues with my carrier. Like, my carrier is not ready for the eSIM at large. I feel like right, people can have them now, but the idea of everybody just all of a sudden needing eSIMs. It's not needed here, right? So there was just something weird on my account where like it just, it wouldn't load the ability for me to change the the eSIM over. And I I spoke to them and they were like, give us a couple of days. And then like three or four days later, it worked. And I did the transfer and it Hmm. went flawlessly. But I think they need, maybe it was just like turned off on my account or something. Um. I don't know why, like, or it just was never enabled. This is a plan I've had for like 10 years. So, you know, who knows? At some point, they just never did it, right? That actually, by the way, makes today my first full day of using the 14 Pro Max as my actual phone phone because I just got the transfer done yesterday. But anyway, so I I did that. uh, But I decided to go the Jason Snell route and I restored again from iCloud. Yes. I just started yep. over and it worked perfectly, basically. Uh, Good. Within the, the range of what I would expect, right? Some apps I had to sign into again, um, which you always do, right? Like all of my Slacks yes. get signed out of, which might be because I'm on the Slack oh, page, Slack. I don't know, but I get signed out of everything. And, you know, I have to reauthenticate a bunch of things, but it was way within the remit that I expected, you know, like... That also, when I signed into some applications again, it wasn't like, oh, hi, we've never heard of you before, right? Which is what I was getting from a lot of my applications. Right. Because those that data that data hadn't synced, right? Exactly. That data was not, because you had an imperfect restore yeah. that, that was missing data. And, and, well, that's good. I, my, people swear by the device-to-device transfer. And I think that there are reasons why it's probably good. Yep. But... The fact is, it can fail, to, you know, and and then you're left with an impartial, um, or not impartial, an imperfect restore, a partial restore, and that's not good. 
And it also locks up both devices for a very long time. And, you know, that's why I prefer the iCloud Restore. And and the argument is, yes, but the, the device-to-device device restore is a more perfect thing where you don't have to log in. Like, I get it. I guess what I would say is all of the restorers have some stuff where you're going to have to re-log in, right? You can't escape all of it. Some mm-hmm. some stuff you have to re-log in anyway. And I don't find the iCloud Restore to be that much more onerous than the regular Restore. And the advantage of the iCloud Restore is your devices are yours again very quickly, even though they're not entirely usable right away because they're still restoring over iCloud. They're back in a usable state where you could make a phone call or something if you need to or set up some settings. So... Um, so yeah, I, that, and that's why I prefer the iCloud restore. Yep. I hope I can remember, or maybe the upgradians can remind me, uh, I'm iCloud was all as worked well, as well for me every other time as it did this time. I'm just going to do that because what I like about the iCloud restore is within 15 minutes, I can at least start poking around. Exactly. You that's, know? that's one of the great things about it is that you're not left sort of with this. So, so Julian did to his new phone, he did the device to device restore and it was like five hours and it still said it was, it, it got stuck on like three hours remaining and it didn't change, which was really annoying. And we went out to dinner and we came back and was still doing it. And I basically, I forget what I did to sort of jog it into into action, but it came back and I think it was actually done and it, it had hung up on the end because it didn't look like he had he was missing anything. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, he he was without his old phone and his new phone for hours while that was going on. And that's I, I mean I I don't like it. I don't like that approach. Uh, I get why people might do it. And then there's the iTunes backup approach which requires you to do an iTunes backup which Hmm, I'm not a fan of that either. So isn't it I mean, it's Finder like, now? Like, isn't it, it like is a... in the Finder? Yeah. Well, yeah, because there's no iTunes anymore, right. at least on the Mac. So yeah, it's a and and that is can be kind of kind of shaky. Kind of mm-hmm. there are a lot of quirks there. It, it, again, it's not that it doesn't work because if it works, it will do a full restore and that's yep. great. But um, there are lots of cases where it doesn't work. But yeah, I'm happy now. I'm all set up again, and uh, I'm never going to doubt you or iCloud ever again. Okay, thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad we got there. I have some follow up about my Apple Watch. Okay, which I said last week. I was like, "Oh, my Apple Watch is fine. It just came right over. Bloop bloop, no problem." And then I, uh, I said, but I think I said I had a connectivity issue where it was like, "Well, why is it not connecting to cellular?" And it was sporadically not connecting to cellular, and that was weird. It turns out that what also happened is I was actually in a zombie Apple Watch state where it actually wasn't a successful transfer and it ended up in the famous, I know Marco mentioned this on ATP last week, the famous, <laughs> the I the Apple Watch thinks it's fine, but no phones will admit to being connected to it. My old phone isn't connected to it. My new phone is like, would you like to set up an Apple Watch? And I'm like, well, wait a second. I thought I transferred my Apple Watch over here. <sighs> and so I had to reset my Apple Watch mm. and repair it and restore it from a backup that was from the day I got the phone. 
And uh, then it went back and and it works fine now, more or less. Like there were some, again, some defaults that got changed where I'd be like, oh yes, please put the apps in a list. And, you know, I don't want to get a notification for this and you need to add these apps back to the watch. And that's not my favorite, but um, I, I got there. But anyway, my, my successful Apple Watch transfer was actually not successful. It also ended up in this weird in-between state and I had to reset it, which was not the best. It was definitely a foreshadowing on last week's episode, right? When mm-hmm. you were like, sometimes it doesn't see the phone, but it seems fine. I guess in that mo- those moments, it's just connected to Wi-Fi, right? It just the moment the moment that the jig was up is when I I was like, I need to adjust the setting. Oh, that's on the Apple Watch app on the iPhone. I guess I need yeah. to open that up. And I opened it up, and it said, "Hey, welcome to Apple Watch. Would you like to add an Apple Watch?" And I thought, "Oh no, mm. like no, no. You you should know. We we did this. We yeah. talked about this, yeah. and it was." Uh, and that was when I realized that the whole thing was a lie. My Apple Watch was acting cool, but it actually had no idea what it was doing, and I had to restore. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at DoorDash. What do you want to eat tonight? Maybe you want a home-cooked favorite, but you don't feel like going to the store? Or maybe you want something exciting and new, but it would be great to stay in tonight. Well, DoorDash connects you with everything you want, whenever and however you want it. Along with the restaurants you love, you can now get groceries and other essential items delivered with DoorDash. Drinks, snacks, and other household items could be with you in under an hour. Every time you place an order for pickup or delivery, you're setting off a chain reaction that helps give back to the people who make your neighborhood unique. With over 300,000 partners, you could support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants, maybe Cheesecake Factory, Chipotle, Popeyes, and more. With DoorDash, you're not just getting the things you love, but you're also supporting the community that you love too. From the stores and restaurants to the dashers driving around, each purchase provides a new opportunity for everyone involved because with DoorDash, there is a neighborhood of good in every order. When we were in Memphis, he was DoorDash a ton. There was like a lot of interesting hours we were working, you know, like, you know, we were at St. Jude for long hours and some days. And what I didn't want to do was have to go to a restaurant or something like I just wasn't really feeling it. And so, you know, maybe me and Adina, we'd like just want to go and just relax at the hotel. And then we could just open DoorDash and just order whatever we wanted from places that we had tried before, places that we hadn't. And it just made it really easy to still have that like home, quiet food experience, but whilst the way, you know, like you don't, you wouldn't want to eat out every night when you're at home. And it's the same when I'm traveling and I really value DoorDash for that experience as well. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code UPGRADE2022. That's 25% off up to $10 value on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and use the code UPGRADE2022. Don't forget, that's UPGRADE2022 for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subject to change, terms apply. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. It's time for a rumor roundup, Jason Snell. Oh, great. Bring it on. So I have an iPhone 14 demand update from a friend mm-hmm. of the show, Ming-Chi Kuo. Uh, Ming-Chi Kuo posted this on uh, Medium. So it's like a, yeah. a post uh, which you can yeah. see on Medium because he does have uh, a Medium page as well as a Twitter account now, which I like. I love that Ming-Chi Kuo is like, okay, I'm tired of people getting my subscription analyst reports in Chinese to my uh, clients and translating them into English and reporting them in the press. So I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to put things out there and including in English 
on my Medium blog and my uh, and my Twitter account. Great. Mm-hmm. It's great. Just go to the source. And the two kind of interesting pieces of information uh, that me and you were talking about, because you sent me this as well. Uh, one is that iPhone 14 Pro models will account for 60 to 65% of shipments in H2 of 2022. And this yep. is based on, so Apple's done its, you know, they've they've spoken to the suppliers and rejigged their supply chain for like what models will be uh, manufactured in larger quantities and stuff, right? So they kind right. of forecast out. And so now that they've done that and they've made the changes to the supply chain, this is what Mixi Quo will now expect, that 60 to 65% of iPhone shipments will be uh, the pro models of some description mm-hmm. with the 14 pro max accounting for 30 to 35 percent of total iphone 14 shipments across all of the iphone 14 models that are currently available i would guess because there's no way you could know about the plus because apple don't know about that yet can you even pre-order the plus yet i don't think so right I don't know. I think that starts in October. I know it's starts shipping in October. I don't think you can pre-order it yet either. But anyway, just all this to say, the iPhone 14 Pro Max is the most popular model right now. That doesn't surprise me. right? Does it surprise you? Uh, a little bit. But again, I think the lesson is that never bet against big phones, mm-hmm. right? Like never, they're not, big phones are not, we think of them or we could think of them as an outlier that it's, it's you know, the other side of the bell curve. That's not the case that they they are very popular and so the idea that the 14 pro max is the most popular one you know we uh, those of us who don't like big phones need to be comfortable with the fact that you know the general rule is that the bigger the phone the more people like it and uh, up to a point beyond you know beyond which apple has not gone so it's not surprising uh when you think about it that way i think the one the one caveat i would put in here is this is second half of this year and um Obviously, there are huge sales spikes in the second half yep. uh, when the new iPhones come out. Um, I think, though, people who buy iPhones in this period from now to the end of the year tend to be a little more hardcore yep. as iPhone buyers. And so I, I don't, I don't want to overstate it, but I suspect that the mix is leaning toward the most expensive products once they're released because the people who are super into it are buying them then. Whereas my guess is that the mix is really different in April, right? When Mm -hmm. it's not anybody who's like, oh, the new iPhone, I got to get it. It's literally somebody who says, oh yeah, my iPhone broke. I guess I need to go get a new iPhone. And it's April. uh, So here I am at the Apple store in April. But this is the time where they sell the most iPhones though, right? For sure. For yeah. sure. I mean, there's a spike because it's new iPhones and yeah. the new iPhone is the biggest motivator, but they do continue to sell them. Mm-hmm. And I think the mix changes. I suspect the mix changes over time. Oh, I have no doubt. But um, right now, you know, they, they sell the most. And uh, right now, um, or or just about right now, right? Like they sell the most in the holiday quarter, which we're not quite in, I think, but we're getting very close. Their quarters don't exactly line up to months, but they're pretty close. And so... Uh, they're getting the next three. The next three months, right? They sell the most, and even then, I think the mix is probably a little bit different. But um, but regardless, like the fact is, the pro their strategy of segmenting these things into pro and non-pro it seems to be working in the sense that yeah. it, the pro is not some isolated strange product. Their most expensive base model is their most popular phone. That's not an accident. Uh, just as real time follow up, you can order the plus right now. Um, All right. And it starts shipping in October. You'll get it when you get it. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm looking at it now on uh, on Apple's the Apple dot com website. Mm. And it says oh. delivers October seventh. So that that was the date. So that that I mean, you can still order one now. It seems, and it will still uh, arrive on the day they expect it. Well, great. Uh, I never really know what to think, particularly about just general analyst statements. But I wanted to bring this one up now because I just thought it was interesting. J.P. Morgan, because like Ming-Chi Kuo seems to have like sources that I can tie my head, like I can like wrap my head around, right? I feel like I can tie them together. It's known that yep. he's very connected in the supply chain and he talks about that in that way. But then when we talk about like J.P. Morgan analysts, like I don't, are they, is this connected to anything or is it just because they think? Like, I don't know, right? I don't know, but anyway, it's, it's uh, right. We don't. It would depend on the analyst, and it would depend on their track record. And we, I would say, we don't know. They, the, the presumption here is that they have sources, but who knows if they actually have sources? And what I also like about Ming Chi Kuo is it's a person, right? I could be like, that's what Ming Chi Kuo said, but J.P. Morgan is like, that's not a person. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. <laughs> there probably was a J.P. Morgan at some there point, was. but that's not the there person was. He's who's not talking about anymore. iPhones. Uh, no. JP Morgan are expecting that by 2025, 25% of iPhone production will be in India, with 5% of iPhone 14s being made in India by the end of 2022. They go on to say that they expect that this 25% figure will actually end up being the same for other product lines that Apple makes as they continue to want to diversify where the products are made, where like most of this stuff is being made in China, not entirely, but most but to the level of 25% across kind of the whole stuff that they make, that is a big change. With the caveat being, I think it's an interesting caveat, they are still likely to be mostly produced, if not wholly produced, by Foxconn-owned factories in India. Right. So I'm still not sure how diversified that is, like because people are talking about, like, you know, what we spoke about in the show before in the past, one of Apple's biggest risks is that all of their products are made in China, and if they end up having issues with China, or if there's issues between the Chinese and American governments, it could cause a problem for Apple's business. But Foxconn is a Chinese company, so is that still an issue for them? I don't know. But I think it is just good business for them to moving their product around a little bit more than the way it is being done right now, if they can do it. There's a bunch of things going on here, right? There's the conversation about diversifying Apple because it's so tied into China. And although these factories are in India, they're in uh, their, their contractor is a Chinese company. However, the other part of um, this is geographic diversity. It's the idea that, um, remember when they couldn't make Macs for a while? <laughs> Because all the Macs were being assembled in one region of China. Like, that's part of it, too. So I think that what's going on here is both of those things. Is let's not have everything happen in one country. Yep. But also, let's not have everything happen in one region. Which is why I wonder about Apple being more geographically diverse within China for some of its products. Just to kind of keep that separate. But I think the the bigger drive is also to just get... Um, other stuff made on in other places so that if anything happens, right, they've got a little bit uh, being made in different places. Um, this is a long process and difficult one and complicated, and we'll see what they're doing. But it's interesting to see that they're they're trying to get some iPhone production into some other parts of the world. I have a mini roundup of what Mark Gurman's newsletter spoke about this week. As this is like the bar 
You know, like if you imagine the room around up, it like it occurs within us, like a a Western town. The power on newsletter is like a saloon inside of the town because it's its own thing, right? Oh, uh, I want to make a note of something I said there that wasn't um, wasn't quite right. Foxconn technically is Taiwanese, but they are the largest employer, private employer in the People's Republic of China. So it's it's not a Chinese company; it's a Taiwanese company, but it's mm-hmm. got lots of employees in China. So it's you know is a good, again, yeah. I I think I mean there's a the question of like what happens if something happens between China and Taiwan, but the idea here is it's um, that is a good clarification to make. It is yes, it's a com- it's a, a company based in Taiwan, but a huge employer in China. And also in other places. But they also, they trade in China as a Chinese company and in Taiwan as a Taiwanese company. So Yeah, a lot of interlinking still going on here. But the larger, I think the larger point is that that uh, a factory, assembling things in a factory in, in India uh, has, uh, you know, it's spreading it out a little bit. That's that's the larger point. Yeah, it's like Foxconn also have, uh, they're building U.S. places. They have... And they have places in Mexico, Malaysia, Brazil. Nevertheless, I think that the issue, what I was getting, I think, kind of remains of like... Yes. I Oh, I agree. I'm assuming that the, the People's Republic of China could put a lot of pressure on Foxconn if they wanted to. And, you know, Apple, uh, Apple talks about, like, obviously this is politically fraught and you don't want to anger China and make it seem like Apple is abandoning China um, or hedging against China, but... Uh, there are other ways to pitch this. One is the geographic diversity. One is the fact that there are countries like Brazil and India that want you to build uh, the products in their com- in their countries. Otherwise, there's a big tariff. Um, and that gives you some rationale for it. I feel like there's all sorts of cover that you can have for increasing, you know, where you make your stuff across the world that makes it seem less like you're hedging against China or imagining a scenario where you're not building things in China, um, while that actually sort of is happening behind the scenes um, by by couching it in other ways. This is something to just watch. This is, yeah, super complex stuff and and uh, tough rapple. And I'd imagine a lot of the stuff that's um, being built in China is full of, you know, components that are literally just being shipped from, from or from in India, shipped from China to India <laughs> to work on it. So it's not like it's a free supply chain by any means but it's something all right let's go into the saloon we're going back into the power on saloon so according to mark german uh he is predicting there will be no october event mark expects that the rest of this year's product releases will occur via press release with the main focus still being on the mac and the ipad yeah how about that i i mean it wraps up uh the upgrade draft championship for you this year if that's the case i had not considered that i am now in full agreement with mark that (laughs) this should be press releases only so i you know i i read his newsletter as being a little more equivocal than that but it definitely was one of these kind of like i don't see why how this could be an event i see how this could be an event because again a lot of these events are are just a video but but the truth is um, these could be press releases. They could be briefings for press mm-hmm. uh, in advance mm-hmm. of video. Let me uh, let me get it, and I'll read the full quote. Okay. Let me get it here because I think it, it. You know, these things they kind of get spoken about backwards and forwards a little bit. So, 
I've been thinking a lot lately about Apple's remaining product releases 2022, and he lists them, blah, blah, blah. None of these new products is a major departure for Apple. They'll get some improved specifications and a chip that was already announced at a formal event in June. That has me thinking, does Apple really have enough here to make it worth pulling together another highly polished launch event? It seems unlikely. Apple may ultimately end up feeling differently, but I think the company as of now is more likely to release its remaining 2022 products via press releases, updates to its website, and briefings with select members of the press rather than via a major iPhone-style keynote. Now, everything he says there is is entirely reasonable. Mm -hmm. However, I will say, at no point in there does he say somebody at Apple uh, suggested any of that is true. Mm -hmm. Now... Now, one of the games that one can play <laughs> is to get something inside that they're not allowed to say came from inside. And it's possible that what he's doing here is reasoning out loud, but his reasoning is is underlied by something he he knows but can't say. Right? Like the idea that like somebody says, well, look. Um, you know, this can't be coming from Apple, but I don't think it's going to happen. And he's like, oh, well, that informs my thought that it's not going to happen. But if you take it on its surface, it's Mark spitballing about what he thinks about this event. I think he's got a point, right? Which is, yep. which is that it's, if it's Mac mini and really it's the laptops and if it's M2 versions of the laptops, but what they really are is just faster m2 pro and max versions of the existing laptops and uh you know an ipad update and they're all kind of updates of existing products is there an event there if that's all there is i think it's a good question if there's you know there could be um macbook pro is not you know not to be sneezed at but in the past apple has released macbook pros with no events uh the they did the big uh, 16 inch macbook pro release with no event um, so I, it, it could be that they do this via briefings and press releases and, um, you know, or briefings and a video presentation, right? Like mm-hmm. they could do that. So I just want to say though, that, so it's like Mark Gurman thought about it. And I think analyzing what is known based on a lot of his reporting and other people's reporting, it does feel a little bit scant for an October, October event, but what he's not reporting is that his sources inside Apple say they're not doing an October event. So that that's one of those things where it's like, like I think it's a, a good possibility that he's right, but um, it's not. That's not the same as Mark Gurman's sources tell him they're not doing it. Yeah, we can't know for sure, right? But this is what he is talking about right now, and I right. follow his line of thinking in a certain set of circumstances, right? Like. If basically all that's happening is the MacBook Pros will get M2 versions of their chips and the iPad Pros will get M2 chips with some other small updates, it might not be like a lot, but you never know. Let me give the the counter proposal, which is what if they take all of that stuff, which includes, he's right, the M2 got unveiled, but the M2 is not that interesting. The the M2 is interesting, but the the, the Pro and the and the Macs, and uh, they're more interesting. And then we throw in the Mac Pro. And you get to reintroduce the world to Mac OS, Ventura, and iPad OS 16.1. Right. You, know, you can do all of that. Like there you can look I you can make an event out of all of it. Yeah. Right. So so that's that's my scenario. 
is if if you wanted to bring in so one if you wanted to bring in that rumored um fancier external display with these laptops and the iPad Pro that wouldn't be a bad time to do it. Does Mark have a read on the timing of that? I don't know. He hasn't talked about it in a long time. Maybe that could be on the agenda and you roll that in uh because you can you could point that out for the iPad and the Mac at this point. And then the Mac Pro again is not going to be a product release, right? But and 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 Mark German has reported about the Mac Pro being in the works, but maybe not, you know, ready to go. But they could announce that thing and boast about it as part of the context of, you know, down in the chip lab with M2 Pro and Max and Ultra and this thing too. And this is what we're doing with M2 and lay it all out there and say, you know, the Mac Pro is com- coming. You're going to be able to pre-order it later mm-hmm. this, you know, later this fall. And it'll ship by the end of the year or ship early next year or whatever. Like they could do that anytime. This is not if if they can announce it months in advance with no penalty, which I think they can. And they've got an event that is Mac and iPad Pro, but like it's a Mac event and it's toward the end of the year. And it's in if it's in the window and it's feeling a little scant on top of it, and you're also announcing your high-end M2 chips. Like, it's not the worst time to do the Mac Pro rollout and call it an event and have it be, give the Mac and iPad some love in a a dedicated event. It's not the worst idea in the world. So not saying they'll do it. I'm saying that I can think of a scenario where where you're more optimistic than Mark Gurman about this and where Apple says, no, we're going to do something, especially if it's fairly low key, right? Like, again, they could do a video event with um, some press briefings. Uh, and and not have it be the big show that the iPhone event was. Uh, Mark also spoke about Apple Pay later being pushed back to spring 2023. So I know we speak about a bunch of these things now of like Apple installment plans, all that kind of stuff. The Apple Pay later feature was announced at WWC. This is the thing where you can use Apple Pay to split a, split a payment of anything really into four payments, right? So I think this is US only to begin uh, it's kind of like these services like Klarna and stuff like that. Uh, Mark says, I'm hearing there have been fairly significant technical and engineering challenges in rolling out the service, leading to the delays. Interestingly, Mark says it will be 16.4. I'm not exactly sure uh, how he knows it will be 16.4 in the spring. but Well, I mean, he's got he's got somebody who has looked at the release board yeah. that has I just found releases. that part so funny. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So 16.4. Uh, okay. Mark, Mark is also down. doubling down on the idea that we've been talking about over the last few weeks of the iPhone 15 Ultra replacing the Pro Max right. with the 15 line, also including the shift to USB-C across all of the phones that we've been talking about. So Ultra yeah, that, is he, cool. He, he really likes that idea, mm-hmm. and I think the implication there is that maybe that is a... That is a phone that is like the Apple Watch Ultra, appreciably different from the Pro, mm-hmm. instead of it just being a larger Pro. Mm-hmm. And uh, sounds good, great. I mean that. I, yeah, I wonder if that's like if it's the camera improvements. Maybe there's a a, a huge camera change that only fits in the larger model. I, I don't know. We'll see. Periscope. We'll Soon, see. Maybe. But if we take it back around to the beginning of the rumor roundup. If the Pro Max is accounting for thirty to five percent, thirty to thirty-five percent of the current, all of the line, yeah, maybe it's good to give it its own name. Wait, 
when it's only differentiated by size, I'll yeah. point out, right? Like mm-hmm. w- imagine what it might happen if it was also differentiated by features. So people were even more, right? Because you, you could be all like, I only want the best iPhone. And then you look at the Pro and the Max, uh, Pro and the Pro Max, and you say, man, like the, the Pro is still the best iPhone. That's just a larger version of it. I'll, I'll get that one. But mm-hmm. if you have Ultra and it is the best and it has some of those features, you're like, oh, well, then I want that one because it's I only want the best iPhone. Like that's going to pull people, even more people up to the high end iPhone and also might let them raise the price. So there's that too. This episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. ZocDoc makes it easy to find quality doctors in your network and in your neighborhood with real verified patient reviews that you can help to find the right doctor for you. ZocDoc is a free app. It will show you these patients, uh, these doctors, their patient reviewed, right? Now take your insurance. They're available when you need them. That is a fantastic mix of things. You can find every specialist under the sun. Whether you want to straighten teeth, fix an icky back, get a mole checked out, or anything else. ZocDoc has got you covered. Their mobile app is as easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant or getting a delivery to your house. It's things that you know, things that you're used to. This is the convenience that you want. You can search, you can find, and book doctors with just a few taps. You can find and review local doctors, read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments. Now, when you walk into that doctor's office, you're all set to see someone in your network who gets you. So you can find the doctor that's right for you, book an appointment in person or remotely, works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. It's their go-to whenever they need to find and book a quality doctor. So I mentioned going into the doctor's office. That's great if you want to do that. But if you're like me, I like remote appointments and ZocDoc will allow you to do that. I like that I can you know, be wherever I want to be. I could be at home, I could be at the office. I could just take just a little 15, 20 minute break to speak to the doctor rather than needing to, you know, go to the office, wait in the waiting room, that kind of stuff. So I can continue doing whatever it is that I want to be doing that day. Take a quick break, speak to the doctor, go back. I think that's fantastic. So go to ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. That URL one more time is ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. Our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. When he says that, he means Z. You know, I heard it that time. Because usually I say Z, I think, when I'm doing it, but that's just how it went today. Let's talk about the iPhone 14 line again. So you have, I believe by the time this episode has published, you have published your review of the iPhone 14s. What the world has been waiting for. The Snell Review. A review posted much after the release of the product. Yay. So, no, I'm going to give you some credit because I think you're being too hard on yourself. I said this to you uh, before we started today. I've read your review. You sent it to me in advance. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very good. And in in a way that I know is really hard because, as you say, right, like there have been so many reviews now. And this isn't one of those, like, I've lived with it for six months. Here's re-review kind of thing. This is, hey, no, I've had it for a week. Let me tell you what I think about it. But I think you bring your unique viewpoint to the phones and I think you do a really good job of breaking down some of the interesting parts of it so much so that I wanted to talk about some of these things today if you will allow me to so one of the things you talk about and I think your whole review is framed around something we've been talking about on the show for the last couple of weeks is this like this being the perfect 
example year of this thing that Apple's been building to for a while and doing it on and off of like, no, we're splitting the phone lines. Like, we call them all 14, but there are big differences between the 14 and the 14 Pro, the two phones that are in each, right? Yes. But you argue that it's good for Apple and good for buyers. Well, I think it is good. It's good for Apple because they're increasing the potential average selling price of the iPhone. And money, 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 it's, money, money, right? It, you know, yeah, we, we know. <laughs> it's good. We know all about it. You know, uh-huh. quarterly re- results will come out soon and we'll we'll talk about that again. But it's also good for buyers in, in I know this is a strange way to phrase this, but think about it this way. If you look at the pro phones and what they have doesn't interest you or doesn't make a difference, you can just save your money. Like, I mean, that's the mm-hmm. truth of it is they're different and there's a true alternative and it's a brand new phone. And I will admit the iPhone 14 itself is as marginally brand new as an iPhone has ever been because there's so little that has changed from last year. But it's also, you know, quite a bit cheaper than the pro models. And for a lot of people, uh, they don't care about that. I mean, I went right through this with my son who I, I did not say he couldn't get an iPhone pro, and he was like, "Man, uh, iPhone 14 is fine." Like that was really his take on it. And he was coming from like an iPhone 10, right? So he was going to pick up a lot of features anyway. Um, but he, yeah, he was just fine with it, and that saved, and that made me happy because it saved me money. I like this. What do you say? It, uh, if they're choosing, so it's about buyers. If they're choosing to spend money on the more expensive phone, they want to know what they're getting for their money. And if those features don't impress, you can save your money, right? And I like yeah. that as like, a, hey, look, if you read this, and you're like, I don't want it because I just want the 14 where you don't need to get this one. And so maybe the small jump is good. And psychologically, if you're going to spend on the expensive phone, you want to know that you're getting your money's worth, right? You want you want to know, like, I'm getting something for this. I'm not, I'm not getting this just to get one more GPU or I'm not getting this just to get stainless steel and a matte, matte back of the phone, right? Instead of the shiny one that's slightly different. You know, like, I want tangible features and so mm-hmm. over the last couple of years because remember there was a there was a moment with the iPhone 13 where the the 13 and 13 Pro were almost identical except for the the one camera that was extra mm-hmm. like everything else about them that was a generation where I really felt like you should just get the non pro because they look better and the differences between them are pretty minor and like it was, it was kind of funny. Or the twelve, right? With the twelve generation, thirteen generation pushed it like the promotion display. Like it started to pull them apart, and now they are way apart. They they have different chips in them, different chip generations between the fourteen and the fourteen Pro, it, and the camera has advanced so much in the fourteen Pro. And in addition to promotion, you also have the brightness, and you have the always on display, and you have the dynamic island. Like they are way apart now, and that's in t- in a couple of cycles. You go from the 12, where you might as well just get the low-end one because they're not really that different, all the way to the 14, where they are way far apart in terms of functionality. And that's something that Apple has made a point of doing, right? We talked about the idea of an Apple Watch or an Apple, an iPhone Ultra, like the Apple Watch Ultra. Well, this is how it starts, right? You yeah. got to first, you got to pull your stack of, of four phones that are only different, really, in terms of looks and size and maybe one camera. You start pulling them apart, and after a couple of years, you've really started to open up some differentiation between them. And I think differentiation is good because 
it's clear, like if you're, again, it's good for buyers too, because it's very clear what you're buying. There's this or this, and they are different. And they're different enough for you to make a choice about, is the difference worth the money? When they're all kind of muddled together, it's not good for anyone. Yeah, it is interesting to think that like within the next couple of years, we could be looking at like five distinct iPhones, right? If you include the SE that they make, like they're distinct in some way from each other. Um, like much more than they are now. They're like five brands, five devices, and they all have a slightly different set of features. Okay. That is an interesting thing. Like I don't, like I wonder, like does it get too complicated at that point? I don't know, right? I guess that's the thing that we'll have to see bear out over time. But as it stands for right now, like in my position of being somebody who's who's excited and interested about this stuff and talks about it professionally, I like the idea of the differentiation because it it allows for a different dimension on, on what we can think about and talk about. Mm-hmm. You called the Dynamic Island a significant evolution of iOS. Yeah, I mean, it is it is that, right? They, they took, again, I, I admire them taking something that, that they could have just seen as a blemish to hide, which is the idea that they still have these sensors cutting out into their screen. And they like the edge-to-edge-ish screen, but they want uh, the sensors, they, they have to be there. And although they don't take up as much space as they used to, they still are cutting into the screen. They could have hidden it. They chose instead to use it as a prompt to build uh, an ongoing status feature. I think that's great. I think it is um, has a lot of potential. Also, though, you can't. I mean, well, let me back up and just say also, this is how do you do um, multitasking on an iPhone? I know that in the unconnected Federico talks and you guys joke about like split screen coming to the big iPhones and Mm -hmm. things like that. It's like the iPhone is just not practical for that kind of thing. Right. Uh, It's too small. Well, even the big one is too small. Well, I think I, I, that's not a joke. Like, I think they could do it. Like, it's no joke. I, I've used Android devices that do it. Like, is it the best? No. But is it good in a pinch? No. Yes. Right? It's like, you know. I don't know if Apple's going to sign on to, is it the best? No. Right? right like, but, but the thing I, is, a company. it's like, picture in picture exists. And I can yes, have a, a, a huge video window that covers up a third of my display at any time. Uh, I know. So they can do it. They, they can. I, I They seem really reluctant. But the point is, look, they're trying something else here, which is uh, essentially Dynamic Island is allowing you to get data from two apps at once. And it's a background thing. And it's like a status and notification. It is the smallest of scales, I think I say, of, of, of single screen multitasking. But it is multitasking. So they are they are trying to build this thing in to kind of redefine what's happening in the background while you're using a single app, because that's basically the metaphor on, on the iPhone is there's one app at a time, but there's other stuff going on too. And you should know about it. Mm -hmm. The problem is that they shipped all of this, um, without the, um, live activities API, which they announced in June, but hid part of and said it anyway, it's not going to ship until later in the fall. And I'm not, I'm not entirely clear about whether it wasn't going to ship until later in part because uh, it wasn't going to be ready or whether this was entirely just we're going to pull that feature out because we don't want to give away the details of what we're doing with the dynamic island. And, and, you know, that's a choice they can make. But the net result is that one of the big feeders of value into the dynamic island 
is not available <laughs> and won't be available until another software update. And meanwhile, also the software developers have to figure out how they want to use it and implement it and release their products with it. And I think that's a problem because it means the dynamic island is essentially unfinished right now. And it feels unfinished. It's got like, yeah, sure, there's some Apple apps. And if you if you play audio or do uh, calls, basically, you pick it up for free because those mm -hmm. APIs support it. Um, and Apple has integrated some, but not all of its status information in there. I'm always surprised when there's like, oh, when I mute my my ringer, um, that goes in there and my face ID goes in there. But when I activate and, and oh, and I, if I run a shortcut, it goes in there. But if I activate Siri, no, it doesn't doesn't do it there. Yeah. What? Uh, and there's I, and every so often I see something and I'm like, why is that not in the dynamic island? And I think the answer is that they didn't get to it. So it's one of these things where for whatever reason or reasons, the dynamic island is an unfinished feature or at least an unfed feature. And so who can judge, right? Like we're going to all need to live with it and see what happens and see what developers do before we can really render a final judgment about it. And also I'll throw out there that like the touch bar or something like that. Sorry to mention the touch bar, but the other part of this is that Apple needs to continue to press on it. I, I think that I think that there are places where it can be improved and should be improved over time. And we won't know that until next WWDC, but I would really like Apple to show that it thinks the dynamic island is important and not a product that they, you know, release, uh, consider done, walk away from, and then it, you know, fades away in a, a few years. I really do like the idea. I hadn't considered it as like multitasking, but I guess it, it is and it will be. Um, I think this is, I know everyone's saying it, but it really is one of these things where like right now for me, it's like a curiosity. It's something I see every now and then. It's like an animation I enjoy, you know, that kind of stuff. There's a little piece of information that I get. Like now whenever I put my AirPods in, I get a battery indication immediately, which I like. They've just put it in yes. there, right? Like it's little parts. That it's like, oh, that's fun. But it really is going to take the like, well, when I order a car and I see how long it's going to take and, you know, when I order food and I see well, how long that's going to be or when I'm, you know, keeping track of something, you know, all of that stuff, like that's where it's going to really come into its own potentially, right? And it, yeah. it is hard to know right now, like, will this feel like multitasking or will this just feel like a notification? I don't know, but I'm intrigued. Yeah, and, and I do think that they... They, they've been very, I think what I said in the article is they've been very conservative with it, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're being very careful with these features because they don't want to like, first off, they can't really revamp all of iOS because it's only on this one, you know, two models basically um, right now. But at the same time, they could do more. They could push more things into the dynamic island. And I, I, I'm sure that they had an internal discussion about like what goes in there and what doesn't. But I'm not convinced that what we're seeing is the complete final result of that. One, because I think they don't know. And two, because I think there are things that they just decided they didn't have time to reinvent. And so they just sort of left them out there. Yeah. But I do, by by opening that door, every interruption I see on my iPhone that is not in the dynamic <laughs> island yeah. makes me say, yeah. why? why is this yeah. not? Yeah. And, the, and, and sometimes the answer is a good answer, but sometimes I go, I'm not, I think that this should be there and they just chose the, or, or decided they couldn't do it. And I, I just think that's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting place to put yourself. But I think once you, once you say, here's the dynamic Island, you are opening yourself up as Apple to having your users go, wait a second, if this is so great, why doesn't it do that? 
And that's why it's, you know, like I said, I don't want to call it an unfinished feature, but it's certainly a 1.0 and and it's a 1.0 kind of feature without developer support. So it feels very much like that. Like anything that ships on a brand new device where it's revolutionary and amazing, but all that really supports it at launch is Apple apps and some stuff that they've sort of swept in. Um, That's literally what this is, is that. And so, um, you know, to be de- and I'm I'm reviewing it in the context of an iPhone because these iPhones are the ones that that offer it right now. Um, but it also is really at this point a software story going mm-hmm. forward. It's a it's a really really an iOS story. It starts on this hardware, but then from now on the dynamic island. You know, if we do a follow up review about the phones, I think that it really there should be a follow up review at some point about the dynamic island because where is it going? Uh, because the hardware is not changing, right? It's the software that will make it change. One of the things that I am really intrigued about and I think is good is that all of the Dynamic Island stuff is powered by live activities, which exists on all iPhones with iOS 16. Yes, or, you know, or it's point, point one, right? It's like yeah. will exist. Yeah. But like will that's, exist. you know, yes. I could have imagined that they're like, oh, we just made this thing for the Dynamic Island, right. you know? But they didn't. I just think that's kind of cool that... So at least other people will still get, yeah. be able to benefit from it. We'll we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it'll be on lock screens, right? Mm-hmm. Non non always on lock screens on other devices will also so show this. I, I assume it also just shows the notification center in general, right? As I well as that's that right. That's that's my guess. But I think that that's going to be an ongoing question when we talk about iOS seventeen. Is is there a way to integrate? information where where does the live activities information show right what are the proper places for it because there are a lot of devices that don't have the dynamic island and so can i flip up or down somewhere and see my live activities and perhaps that's the answer is it's literally it's in notification center and so you have to do extra work if you're not Mm. using the dynamic island that's that's fine or you have to lock your phone and see it on the lock screen which is maybe less good because then you have to unlock your phone i don't know it's uh it's something to watch because it is a a new thing that Apple is, you know, kind of experimenting with on two phone models right now. For now, uh, you don't seem too keen on the always on. Uh, I'll read this line: What does leaving the iPhone screen on on actually accomplish? <laughs> I just thought it was like pretty skewering. I mean, yeah, not trying. I mean, I didn't write that sentence and, and go, ha-ha, I got, I got him. Got him. Uh, that's right. We got him. Everybody, victory. Um, well, I, I was struck. We were having dinner with my uh, with my kids up, up uh, while we were driving, dropping my son off at college. And my daughter says, because uh, I got the phone laying out on the on the table at the restaurant, and she says, why is it on like she was kind of like disturbed by it which is not a reaction i expected it's like oh it's cool it's always on it's like "Mm, no like she didn't like it and some of that is just not used to it and phones are very important to her and it's a phone doing a weird thing but it did make me think okay why is it like this and my my that, that, so this is my this is my answer which is 
what is asking the question, what does it accomplish? What is it for? Why is it like this? And if you want to say, well, I like that my phone is, you know, hanging out on my my desk and I look and I can see the time and I can see a picture that's on it. It's like, fair enough. Like, fair enough. But for me, I'm a little more skeptical about that. Like, it, it, and again, this is a case where we don't have live activities view, right? So mm-hmm. they're, they're, if it's populated with live activities, it is maybe a little more dynamic, not, not island dynamic, by the way, but just dynamic a little more. Um, it's interesting that they took, you know, they, they com- compacted all of the notifications so you don't see so many notifications now. So notification comes in and if you're looking, you can see it, but like they're in a pile now. So you're not going to see the t- the last four. So that's not it. Um, it, it just, I, I, I like the idea of it and I appreciate the technical prowess that went into it. Also in my case, you know, I wear a watch. I have the time on all my devices. I'm not, there, there's very few circumstances where I'm going to use uh, the iPhone as my only source of time. Now, if you sleep next to your iPhone and you can see <laughs> glasses, I suppose, then, but in sleep mode, it turns itself off. So maybe that's not even an answer. So I guess what I'm saying is I struggle a little bit with the why of this feature. Not that it's not impressive and not that it couldn't be something, um, also it is pretty dim. A lot of the photos that I put on it, I can't really see them that clearly because it's dim. Um, so it, it doesn't become like a great showcase for my photos. Like I thought it might, it is, uh, the widgets are okay, right? That you can put some live widgets, but even there, the power of it is kind of blunted by the fact that the, the, the lock screen widgets are limited to that one strip and the one text thing at the top when there should probably be more. And again, (laughs) let me decide if I want a lock screen full of widgets. But it feels like Apple saying, well, look, we've got this great new information strip and you can really only put three or four things up there. Um, Because if you put more, it will make, we won't like how your phone looks. It's like, well, it's my phone. If these information things are so great and I want an always on display that's full of information, let me do it. And Apple has decided, uh, no, you don't get to do that. So, and again, maybe part of that is solved by the live activities thing. Hasn't shipped, doesn't exist. So I, 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 I tried to be enthusiastic about the always on display and where I ended up is I think it's a curiosity that needs to prove itself. And for me, it hasn't. I struggle to say why I like it, but I do like it. I just find it interesting to just have the information that I've chosen to put on my lock screen there all the time. I don't love it, but I, I like it. I, I, I'm definitely not having the negative reaction that I'm seeing from a lot of people. Yeah. I And, and you know, keeping in mind, I'm writing a review here, right? So mm-hmm. it's like reviewing, reviewing anything critically. I, I, as a regular user, I would probably say what you say, which is, oh, it's kind of cool. It stays on and you can look at it and there's stuff. And that's all true. But when I try to look at it critically as a reviewer, I look at it and and, and ask that question like, well, okay, what does this get me? Other than draining my battery faster, (laughs) what does this get me? And I feel like it's, that's where Apple has not lived up to the feature. Apple has not done what Mm. all that it could, including some 
you know, some of this may just be, is this a, is this a good feature or not? And I, I think it probably is fine, but some of it is Apple's own failures, which is, like I said, Live Activities API not being there, limited ability to put widgets on the on the lock screen, stuff that, you know, rolling up all the notifications, which I support as an idea, but like if I got an always on display and I know, you know, on the old version of iOS, I could have theoretically seen three or four notifications and now I can't because mm-hmm. they rolled them all together. Um, it, it just, it's, it's curious. So, so when I started sort of interrogating like it, it like that, I ended up coming away feeling like, yeah. even though on, on the surface, it's like, this is cool. Uh, beyond that, you know, like my daughter said, like, uh, why? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, why? Hmm, it could be a lot better. I guess that's what I'm saying. And I think that's all like the dynamic island, it's a little bit in Apple's hands to make it better. And since we last spoke, you've been taking some raw photography. Yeah, you know, I went down there's a bridge um near my house <laughs> that I like to take pictures at. Some you know, people that people like to take pictures at, I hear. The Bay Bridge. So, uh, no, it's not the one. <laughs> okay. It's an orange. It's the orange one. The orange bridge, um, that's what they call it. And so I went down there and I took a bunch of pictures. Uh, I mean, I've been taking pictures with it everywhere. As you know, every I was yep. saying to Lauren that this is every, when you get the new iPhone and you're reviewing it, everything suddenly is a, is a photo opportunity. So you start yep. doing like, okay, I'll take it raw, take a non-raw, uh, take the 1X and the 2X and the 3X and the 0.5X. And, you know, you do the whole kind of rigmarole so you can compare them later. But I did take a bunch down um, by the water and by the bridge. And, um, you know, that 48 megapixel camera is, is staggeringly good. Like that's my, that's my real top line feeling about it is that you can have an iPhone with that level of detail is is shocking. It's it's so good. And I think that if you're somebody who really fancies themselves an iPhone photographer and one of your hobbies is taking pictures, but you you do a lot of it with your iPhone and you do like uh, you, you do shoot in raw or you've thought about shooting in raw, but you process your images and maybe you put them on prints or, or on posters or like, if you care about this, that might be enough to upgrade just to get access to that 48 megapixel, um, sensor because it's, especially in bright light, it is remarkably good. What's funny. The, the level of detail yeah. is truly unbelievable if you it take the, the photo side by side it really is quite quite surprising yeah 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 the, what's funny is apple has locked that feature out for most users that's the that's again i find a curious choice and again i understand why apple chose to do it apple is thinking the regular photographer is just shooting snapshots. Mm-hmm. And so what we're getting with the 48 megapixel sensor for the regular person is two things. One is quad pixel binning. So we're we're not using it as a 48, we're using it as a really good 12 megapixel camera with good low light performance. Great, that's really good. And uh, the other thing that you get is the 2X camera, which is not a camera, but just a crop of the inside 12 megapixels of the 48 megapixel sensor. But that's really nice because it means that you are able to use that sensor to get a, a, it's a crop, but it's, it's the context is instead of letting you do a 48 megapixel 
a picture and crop it. They're like, well, we're going to pre-crop it for you. Um, and it's not going to have the low light performance that the quad pixel binning has because it's turned off, but you are going to get a different, another camera view. And the two X view is really nice. So they, it's giving Apple's giving the users that, but what it's not doing is saying, yeah, but I want to take this at 48. And so you have to go into settings into camera, and then you have to go into a sub menu. You have to turn on raw and say, I want to shoot 48 raw. And then you have the ability to toggle raw on and off in the camera app. Yeah, then it's really easy. Like, it is easy yes. then, because you just yes. got that button there all the time. Even then, you don't have the option of shooting, like, a 48 megapixel um, Heath image. Mm-hmm. It has to be raw. And that means... And, and it's, like, another barrier. So Apple has erected all these barriers to using the sensor. And I get it. Like, on one level, I get it. It is not for most people. The files are huge. Most people would prefer the lower light performance from the quad pixel binning and have that benefit. However, I am still a little disappointed. I think Apple's Apple's so clever, right? Apple's so clever and so helpful. I think having having a shooting mode that you could turn on that says, when I'm in bright light, give me a 48 megapixel uh, Heath image because it's gorgeous and detailed, uh, and I'm it's a feature I'm turning on. But also be smart enough to say, oh well, the light's a little bit lower now. I'm going to go to the quad pixel binning in order to get a better shot. And Apple does this in other circumstances where they change the lens uh, in order to get the right one that's got the right performance in it. Mm-hmm. Um, like when you're zooming through, it will change the lens, and when the light conditions change, it will change the the lens or the camera it's using. Oh, like, and I don't know if it still does this, but I know for a while. If you used the telephoto, but there wasn't enough light, it would just crop yes. in the main lens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, it does this. And so so I asked the question again, which is like, what's the deal, Apple? Why have you made it so hard not to use the 48 megapixel sensor? Like, And again, I understand some of the reasoning, but I disagree with the absolutism of... It, you can only do it if you turn the setting on and shoot raw. Otherwise, you don't... Or... or <laughs> Because again, the if the argument is well, yeah, but those images are noisy, and you really need the quad pixel binning. Well, I can shoot a two X. Those images are no- noisy and don't have quad pixel binning. I'm allowed to do that, but I'm not allowed to see the whole sensor unless I turn on RAW. Like, I don't know. It, it is so. So the bottom line is, this is a great camera, especially if you care about photos and you're willing to take the extra steps to give yourself extra control. And the stuff that comes out in those raw files is amazing. It is really, really incredible levels of detail. I was taking pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge where I could see individual people up on the ridge above the bridge looking down on it. Uh, Whereas in the 12 megapixel image, you know, there's a bump. Uh, But in the 48 megapixel, it's a human being you can see their arms and their head and they're they're looking out like it is remarkable so it's a great camera but if you're if you're a casual photographer who just is you know shooting snapshots it's it it is a better camera but not as better as you might think it is better i definitely saw some cases where there was a lot of noise in the 48 and the quad pixel binning was like, there's no noise. It's really impressive, but it's a way more subtle sort of thing. And I, I just, I really feel like this is the case where Apple has erred too far on the side of um, keeping it simple and 
I don't want to say dumbing it down, but that's kind of what it is, which is they've taken their own sensor and and really muted its impact by not giving, you know, giving people a pathway to um, like they basically said the 48 is really only for pros or if you want to zoom. Otherwise, forget it. And I think that's too bad. Yeah, I, I feel like just in general, there is maybe a little bit more headroom in this camera than Apple have made available in general, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Because it, it, you know, as we were talking about, and as a lot of reviewers have pointed out, like people that are, I would say, much more um, knowledgeable than me and you about photography, of like, <laughs> for sure, it seems like really the 14 does most of the time about as good a job as the 13 Pro, right? The 14 Pro and the 13 Pro. Yeah, I shot a bunch with the 13 Pro as well, and although the 14 Pro is very, very, very slightly better in certain conditions, they're basically the same. Which is, which is when I say dumbed down, I mean, it is a little bit of that. Is Apple has this incredibly amazing new piece of hardware, but they kind of want the default to be more or less what the old hardware was with a little bit of a variation. And that's an odd decision. And I, I just, I, I, I'm a little bit frustrated that they didn't try to push this more. And I think you're exactly right. It is a scenario where, um, Apple seems to be going real slow and wants to be really conservative about how they roll out their their new hardware. And I think they're concerned about people, you know, shooting giant images that they can't do anything with and that they would have to process. And like, I get all of that, but um, I just I, I think they went too far. I think they, they have have erred too far on the side of not giving more, you know, more regular users the access to that kind of power. However, they will let us do it, which I could imagine a world in which they didn't enable a 48 megapixel yeah. oh. raw sensor. Oh yeah, imagine you know? if the only way that you could use that use the 48 data was in the 2x mode <laughs> with which, a little part I mean, of it. You can see a world in which they would just not do it, right? Yeah. So what I'll say yeah, is, like, on the flip side, it feels like a great time for apps that make shooting and dealing with raw photos easier, and I think yeah. that is going to maybe. Uh, become more and more popular. You know, it is worth saying that maybe this is the first time I feel like where putting a camera and pro in the name together on an iPhone makes sense because oh, to get the best out of this lens, you have to do something that really you kind of need to know what you're doing a little yeah. bit to get it to work. Because like sometimes yeah. in the right daylight, you take a picture with the raw, it just looks good. But if you're not in that, you get yeah. colors look weird and all that kind of stuff. But let me let me respond to that though by mm -hmm. saying, isn't that Apple's job? Like, isn't Apple's job? Isn't the thing that Apple is so proud of? Oh, that yeah. They take some amazing hardware technology like a forty-eight megapixel sensor, and they use their amazing secret sauce and their image pipeline and their photonic engine and all of that to put that power in the hands of the regular user. And I would argue then that if you say. Uh, this is great if you are unlocking all of the the barriers and downloading a third-party app and that you're a pro. Shouldn't the idea be that Apple unlocks that power for everyone to use? And they didn't. They, like, like they chose not to. They're like, nah, it's a Zoom or a pro feature you can turn on. And again, I'm not saying everybody should be shooting 48 megapixels. I'm not saying that at all. But like, there is a scenario here, again, to get back to sort of like my critic's hat, 
There's a scenario here where Apple says, we are smart enough that if you put it in this mode, we know when to shoot with 48 and we know when to step it down to quad pixel binning and we'll make it look great under either circumstance for you, regular person, so that you can take the photo off and go, oh my God, look at all this extra detail because I want to crop it over here in the corner and print a poster of it or whatever. And they punted. I mean, they punted on that. They said, no, we're not going to make 48 uh, megapixel images uh, accessible to regular users. We're going to hide it. And I, I think that, look, we can all debate it because I don't think this, I think this is a, a completely subjective thing. I think that is a failure of Apple's own stated philosophy of taking high complicated technology and bringing it to regular people. They literally locked everybody out of this feature unless they know how to turn it on instead of having it be magic. And uh, that's curious to me. I find that very curious. This episode is brought to you by Rogue Amoeba. Huzzah! Rogue Amoeba software is celebrating their 20th anniversary. Hear ye, hear ye, huzzah, Rogamiba. Congratulations, Rogamiba. That means two full decades of making amazing audio apps for the Mac. If you're a podcaster, a musician, or just someone who listens to audio on the Mac, Rogamiba can make your life better. Whatever you want to do with audio, it is a very good bet that they have a tool to help you. With Audio Hijack, you can record any audio. Anything on your Mac, you can record it with Audio Hijack. Yeah. Loopback gives you extremely powerful audio routing without needing cables or mixers. You can send audio source from here to audio input mm. there, all that kind of stuff, which is really cool. And Sound Source is the sound control that should be built into Mac OS. Like, say, for example, you just want to turn up the volume of one of your applications to help balance out the overall audio you're hearing, they'll let you do that. Yeah, I want my I want my Safari audio to go to my headphones, but mm -hmm. I want my music to play out of AirPlay and like I yeah, it's amazing. It should should be in the OS by the way, but it's not. So Rogue Amoeba. So yeah. Rogue Amoeba will do it for you. Obviously, we're huge fans uh, of Audio Hijack as well, like maybe for me specifically. Uh, Audio Hijack is the tool that yeah. I use to, so you can listen to your podcasts. So if you like yes. your podcast and then you think, oh, the audio on Relay FM show sounds so good, it's because by and large, we're all using Audio Hijack to do it. Uh, yeah. At least you set out for my shows. Not only do we record our audio, we stream our live shows like with uh, Audio Hijack. So if you listen to our shows live, it's all done within there. We're able to do it. Uh, it is really, really awesome. I absolutely adore uh, Audio Hijack. It gets me out of so many jams or just little niceties. Like sometimes I'll want to grab some audio from a YouTube video and edit it into a show. Really easy to do all of that with Audio Hijack. It's fantastic. But as I mentioned, Rogamiba make a ton of great apps. Audio Hijack just happens to be my favorite. Rogamiba, they don't run constant sales or gimmicky discounts and that kind of stuff. They charge fair prices all the time. But... In celebration of this milestone anniversary, they're making an exception. For a very limited time, to celebrate 20 years in business, you can get, you guessed it, 20% off any purchase from Rogue Amoeba. You don't need coupon codes or special URLs. Go to this URL, macaudio.com, to save 20% on anything Rogue Amoeba makes. This deal is only valid until the end of September, so it's very nearly over. Download free trials, then buy online to receive the discounted price 
thoroughly recommend this. Go to macaudio.com right now before this offer ends to congratulate Rogue Amoeba on 20 great years and get some fantastic software at a fantastic price. Our thanks to Rogue Amoeba for their support of this show, for literally making this show possible, and for supporting mm. Relay FM as well. So I got, Jason, we got, I should say, a bunch of Ask Upgrade questions that were specifically focused on the Dynamic Island. So we're going to do a Dynamic Island edition of Ask Upgrade, and then we're going to do our regular Ask Upgrade today. Okay, so this is Dynamic Island Ask Upgrade that we're doing? Is it possible that the lasers for the Dynamic Island edition of Ask Upgrade would sound any different? Okay. The did lasers. Just, did sh- they just kill a bird? A, maybe. At least shot at the bird. Yeah. On the island. I guess it's like some on the kind island. of parrot or something. I don't even. It could have been a monkey, too. I don't know. Monkey Island. Jonathan asks Apple have done a great job embracing the camera cutouts of the Dynamic Island. However, they clearly have their eyes on the day that they can make an iPhone a truly full screen device. When that day arrives, what do you imagine they would do with the island? Uh, well, let's see how it goes. I think that's the first one is like, mm-hmm. let's see how it goes. And if people like it and our people are used to it, my guess is that the dynamic island will pop down in a delightful animation when it's active and disappear with a delightful animation when it's not active. Um, the, yes. that, uh, and that you might be able to swipe it down or swipe it up and get it out of your way if you don't want to see it and probably turn it on or off. But that would be my guess is that it'll look just like it does now, except it'll be dismissible and it won't have an inactive state. That's my guess. I could imagine that. Yeah. It just, it just is right. As you say, like when something's not in it, it just doesn't exist. Right. Assuming that people like it and use it and Apple thinks it's an important part of iOS, which I, I would say it's more likely than not that mm-hmm. is the case. But if it's a flop and nobody really likes it after a year or two, then they'll be like, okay, well, once we can get rid of it, we'll just, you know, like the touch bar, we'll just make it fade away. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of this thing is it's mostly software, right? It is hiding some cutouts, but it's mostly software. So um, that's my guess is they'll just make it something that appears when it's active or you can dismiss it or or make it reappear or whatever and it'll it'll be a dynamic um, status item element at the top of the screen because even in the world of a full screen iPhone I, I still think they're gonna need to have a status bar of some description right that oh for sure has stuff in it so the idea of having this design like, like this UI element that could appear and not you know and go away or whatever, uh, there's probably going to be some kind of um, there's some kind of like element of that for a long time. I will say right. that the fact that they have done all of the work that they have done would suggest to me that Apple think that it is quite a way away before they won't have any cameras or sensors visible on the device. Right? It will be interesting if we end up with a different dynamic island at some point that's got. Like the the beauty of the dynamic island, I would guess, is that they have the ability or will have the ability to change sort of what cutouts they're dancing around and where they are. So, yeah, we may see it that it's an even smaller cutout, but we won't notice the difference because it's still just the dynamic island. Um, it's also possible that at some point they might refigure the whole thing as a status bar on the top. 
Um, because mm. there is the, you know, the name of the carrier and your Wi-Fi and your bars and your battery and all of that. Like that stuff's always up there. Um, whereas Dynamic Island kind of appears during active activities. So they might, you know, reconceive some of that stuff if necessary. But anyway, I think that's the the most likely scenario is that the Dynamic Island will continue to stay around. And we talked about the idea that it might even appear on things like the iPad down the road. Mm-hmm. I think it would be the same thing, right? It would be a it would be a place that would appear when you have something in the background that is going on and that you you, you know you can turn it off or dismiss it if you don't want to see it. Speaking of which, John asks, uh, no, Jonathan asks. Okay. Not John. Jonathan. We already mm-hmm. had John. No, like, I don't want to, actually, Jonathan's I don't want to get to Jonathan's question just yet. Hold on. Oh, okay. There's another question here. Uh, I'm getting lost on Dynamic Island. Oh, yeah, this was John. Jonathan asked the last question. John asks this question. I'm getting, I've got too many Johns around here. All right. John says, you spoke last week about whether the iPad would get the Dynamic Island or not. What about the Mac? The Mac has a notch today. Could it have the island in the future? My gut feeling is that the Mac already has a thing for this, and it's the menu bar. Hmm. If the Dynamic Island is a big hit and Apple wants to kind of play that idea elsewhere, um, who knows? It could certainly do it if it wanted to. But, you know, with the notch, what Apple has done is basically made the notch part of the menu bar. And the menu bar is a status area. So I'm not sure it's necessary on the Mac. I mean, could they do it if they really, really liked it and they wanted to extend it? Sure. Also, the Mac is is even more multitasky already. So it really is, you know, the need for it is less. It really is the stuff that's already in the menu bar. It's already up there. So, um, you know, other than forcing it in because of a brand extension kind of thing, I, I it doesn't seem very necessary on the Mac. My entire dynamic island on my Mac is like my menu bar is my dynamic island is what I'm trying to say. It's a right. I don't know what that would be. It's like a, a haze layer of status or something. I don't know. It's up there at the very top. We're not looking for a dynamic menu. No. Alex asks, in time, could you imagine that notifications would be integrated into dynamic island? Well, so this is something that we we sort of touched on earlier with the question of like, does it's like a new game. Should this be in the dynamic Island? And I, you know, I think that when a notification comes in, having it, the, having the dynamic Island expand to show it and then have it, you know, go back away. If mm-hmm. you don't interact with it. I, I mean, I've got to think they mock that up and there must be some reason the question is, do they think it's a bad idea or did they just not have time to revamp the entire notification system on two phones? I think that's the question. Feels to me like as a notification comes in, it, what is that but a background status event, right? Like that it actually, I think maybe should display in the dynamic island, um, at least temporarily and then go away again. Um, I, I'm sure there's a counter argument to that, but that's my, that's my gut feeling is like, well, why not? Why do we have multiple layers? Like, wh- why do I have a little notification blob shoot down below the dynamic Island and then live there and then shoot back up when it's done, when it, when it's doing kind of the same job as the dynamic Island. I know it's not ongoing, but it is a, a background information bit that's coming in. So I think it's a, I think there's a, a solid argument for Apple putting notification pop-ups in the dynamic island. I would like to see it. I, I just I just like the animation, 
Like, I like right? the Apple Pay animation for it. I just think it looks so really good. nice. So I would why if considering notifications come from that general area of the screen, why not have them pop up there? You it, know, you know, and 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 while I'm being critical of all of Apple stuff today because it's that's part of my job. Um, I like what you said earlier about like um, it feels like Apple thinks this is the thing. Like nothing tells you that Apple thinks that this is the thing more than the amount of effort that they, that they put into all the animations, all the movements. The mm-hmm. dynamic island is a dancing blob. It is this. It's got for a for a, a black space, an empty theoretically space. It a- actually has personality. A featureless empty blob that has personality, but it does. And it's it does its little thing where it expands and goes, oh, face ID and and like, oh, the lock is unlocked. And now, you know, all of those things that it's doing up there. That suggests that Apple is like, yeah, 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 we're on to something here. And it is delightful. And then a notification comes in and it's like, here I am. There I go. And it's like, it feels old, right? It doesn't feel right. And again, I can see arguments that notifications aren't dynamic island participants, but I think maybe they. I think that that's the right place for them. Like you've got you you invented the replacement for notifications, so now notifications need to go in there. Not not like for notification center where you're viewing all of them, but like the 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 ones that come in across the transom, right? And say here's a news alert, and it expands and goes, oh, the news thing happened, and then if you you either interact with it or you go or it goes mm, goodbye and it fades back away. Like that's that seems right to me. Aaron asks, can you disable the always-on display on the 14 Pro via focus modes or shortcuts, i.e. disable when driving? Mm. Okay. The answer to the... The direct answer to what you are asking is no, right? You cannot use focus modes to turn off the always-on display. But... Even though some focus modes do it, mm, uh... (laughs) Yeah. This feels like, by the way, this feels like a feature that will be updated sometime in iOS 16, right? Yeah. Like this feels like one of those things they just left on the table. It's like, we'll get, we'll get to it. Like we got other stuff going on. Have you seen the dynamic island? We're we're working on it. This feels like it's, it's just like easy to add this later. So I hope they will. But there is a thing uh, that I found on nine to five Mac today where there's Mm -hmm. like a weird workaround that you can do. So there is a setting in the options of a focus mode, which is currently called dim lock screen when you're in a certain focus. And on other devices, it kind of just does something akin to what the sleep mode looks like, where it kind of like dims the lock screen a little bit. Um, But when you do this on an always on, like, so you've got like the 14 Pro, right? When you enable this option, it turns off everything other than time and widgets when you're in that lock, when you're in that focus mode and you've enabled that as a as a thing. So you could create a lock screen that had no widgets on it and tie it to that focus mode. Then when you turned on this focus mode, it would basically make your lock screen just have the time on it. This is a real workaround. Yeah. But this is a way to do it. So you'd have, you would have to have, like, this is not a solution to get what people want, in my opinion, of like, I just wanted to do have this. I don't want the image. Like, you could do that, but then you're living in fo- a focus mode all the time. And maybe that's good for you. Maybe that's what you want, right? This is a workaround to do it. This is not the option uh, that people are looking for. But 
this is a thing you can do if you have a specific reason. So, for example, like Aaron mentions, like to disable it while driving. So, yes, you could set up a driving lock screen that didn't have any widgets on it. And then you could turn that one on by you know setting up that focus mode, enabling that setting. And then when you drive, your iPhone will just show the time, which probably isn't that distracting to you. That's a way to do it, but it's not the mm. thing you're looking for. They should add this as a thing in focus mode. It's just straight up, turn it off like you can in sleep. This feels like a, a very simple, I know it might not be, but it seems like the kind of thing, like I said, that's a 16.1 or 16.2 feature where that they just slide in there, which is shortcuts support and focus mode support and just like a little more control over the always on display. Oh, it should, you know, it should be one of the focus filters. Yeah, uh, the people working on those features might not even have known about the always on display for a Correct. while. Right? Yep. <laughs> so, so I, I feel like they're, they, they're going to use their own products inside Apple with the always on display and be like, oh, yeah, we should do that too. And then we'll see it. Uh, this doesn't feel like something that's like a policy decision. It feels like it's just expediency. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by New Relic. Developers are curious folk. They first, they first, and then they you, right? This is you. You're listening to me here, developers. I know you're out there. You're the first to explore newest technologies. You're already digging into documentation. You want to know not just how things work, but why. And that is why so many engineers turn to New Relic. New Relic gives you data about what you build and show what's really happening in your software lifecycle. It's a single place to see the data from your entire stack, so you don't have to look into 16 different tools and make those connections manually. It pinpoints issues down to the very line of code so you know why the problems are happening and can resolve them quickly. That is why Dev and Ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software and when teams come together around data it allows you to triage problems be confident in decisions and reduce the time needed to implement resolutions using data not opinions use the data platform made for the curious right now you can get access to the whole new relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data per month free forever no credit card required sign up at newrelic.com slash upgrade that's n-e-w-r-e-l-i-c dot com slash upgrade that url one more time newrelic.com slash upgrade our thanks to new relic for their support of this show and all of relay fm and i have some regular hashtag ask upgrade questions no birds were harmed in the firing of those lasers Oh, the They're bird fine. flew by, but it's no problem. Yeah, okay. It's fine. Millennial Falcon asks, I promise this one, this is baseball related. Friday oh. Night Baseball on Apple TV Plus broadcast the Yankees game this week, which had the potential this weekend for a historic Aaron Judge home run. This is a record, right? I saw about this. I saw this going around. Uh, yeah, uh, it's the, yeah, the American League record and the Yankees team record for home runs is 61 Roger Maris and Judge, as we record this, is on 60. Okay. The This question also goes on to say, there was a lot of discourse about Apple letting the Yankees cable channel make a deal to switch or simulcast the game because of this. 
How do you think the relationship of streaming services and traditional cable providers will change going forward, particularly for historic moments like these? Um, okay, just so, so yes, there were <laughs> a bunch of things. The New York Attorney General uh, decided to make some political points by saying, oh, how dare they charge us for this, which was funny because it's free. Um, oh. I think it shows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Anyone yeah. can just watch it. Yeah, if you've got an internet connection, yeah, of any device, basically, you can watch it. Even a laptop, uh, you know, whatever. So, um, a lot of misinformation, misunderstanding about it. Um, so yeah, she she stepped in it. Um, the another thing swirling around here is this idea that some stuff is only available on streaming and there are people who have who don't understand streaming or just want it on their TV like always and those are those tend to be very non-technical people obviously this is part of the same conversation as the NFL finally having their first streaming only game which was Thursday nights on Amazon that's streaming only unless you're in the local market for the team Showing you, by the way, that the NFL is smart and demands that every game that's in a local market is shown on broadcast TV in that market, uh, which only the NFL basically does. There are a few things here. Like the whole purpose of Apple doing this, I think, is to get people to, to go through this process. Like the process of realizing you don't have Apple TV and how do you get it and what is it and... And do I have a device that supports it is sort of the point. They want more addressable people who are able to get to Apple TV and Apple TV Plus. And keeping in mind that's pretty much any computer and because you can use the web and then obviously Apple devices and other connected boxes and TVs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the, the goal is to like get everybody to say, well, how do I get this? Just like Amazon's goal is how do I get uh, the NFL on Thursday nights, and the answer is you've got to become a Prime subscriber and get the hardware for it. And Amazon will sell you something because Amazon makes hardware for it, right? So it's all part of the point. I get why people are mad because it's a different way of doing it. Um, but it is kind of the point. Now, for something like the Aaron Judge home run, my guess, and I don't know this for sure, but like, also I wonder if the uh, the New York Attorney General like has a friend at the yes network or something. Cause they're like, Oh, well, you know, how dare they? Let's let the Yankees cable channel get it. Well, wait a second. First off the Yankees cable channel, you have to pay for cable TV to get that. That's outrageous. You have to pay for that. I wonder given that everybody's got like so many people have smartphones and computers on the internet these days. Um, is it more accessible on a cable channel than it would be free on the internet? I'm not sure. It would just be different. And they're, what they're saying is, we're used to watching Yankees games on the Yes Network, so why can't we watch this one? And the answer is, because Apple paid Major League Baseball a lot of money. That's the answer. If I were yeah. Apple and Major League Baseball, what I would probably do is have a wink-wink, nudge-nudge conversation about maybe showing Aaron Judge's at-bats on, I would say, MLB Network not on yes, but maybe it's the yes network because that's going to be limited to the Yankees territory. That's their cable network. One of those, um, just as a way to give cover 
for for this whole thing of being like, well, well, his at bats will be on the Yes Network. If you want to see history, we'll let you we'll let you see those. If, but everybody else is going to have to get it through Apple TV. So, I mean, my my feeling is that I get that this is painful, but this is where the money is, and sports leagues want money. Sports leagues uh, get money; they make the team ownership more valuable, which the owners like. They give the teams money to pay the players, which the players like. It's a money-making enterprise. And right now, Apple and Amazon and the like are able to pay more money uh, for this stuff because they have an external motivation, which is to increase their ecosystem by getting more people who are engaging with their platform, whatever it is. And, you know, the truth is, Amazon got 13 million people to watch live their first Thursday night football broadcast. And they had the, they said the most prime signups in a three hour period of all time on Thursday during the game and just before the game. That's why they're doing this. And that's why Apple's doing this. Cause once you've got Apple TV uh, watching that for free, they can give you some other stuff for free. They're going to do some MLS games for free starting next year. And now you hear about Ted Lasso or whatever. And you're like, Oh yeah, I, I did that Apple TV. I know how to get that. And you're sliding into the ecosystem. That's why they do it. So my my feeling is that while I'm sympathetic always to local fans who are so used to watching their games on their local cable channels, and especially the ones who are uncomfortable with the idea of doing streaming, I the my answer is not yes, we should give it to them the way they're um the way they're accustomed because they don't want to change. My answer is the world is changing. You got to change. That's it. Bottom line, the world is changing. And if you want to be a sports fan in the 2020s, guess what? Um, Get used to streaming or get used to disappointment. Yeah. I kind of like personally, I have no sympathy to this idea that, Oh, a historic thing should happen in the place where it's always happened. Like, no, yeah. I'm sorry. That's not how this works. Like, what we all have to just accept that, like, the, the this old cable channel must get every... Like, no, this isn't... Right? Like, if it has to be that way, then these rights should never be allowed to be disputed, like, to be, like, sold yeah. to anybody else. Well, they can be, so because they can be, you just have to move to wherever it yeah. is like this is i know it sucks but like sports are expensive and like this is just what it's like these days but hey this yeah. one was free so you know <laughs> yeah yeah that that blunts the argument even more right yeah, it's that great. it's totally free you just have to change and it's like i i have some sympathy i i do because it's like you're acting asking people to change their habits i get it but there there are limits to my sympathy right mm-hmm. a- and at this point if you're a baseball fan um, or especially if you're an MLS fan, by the way, but if you're, you know, you just, you, you have to, you have to get with the times. This is just how it is. And the money is why they do it. And the, it's not Apple's fault. It's it, major league baseball took the money and did, then distributed it to all the teams because they liked the money for those games. And that's just, that's just where we are now. I have, you know, criticisms of the way some companies have handled their sports rights on, mm-hmm. in the streaming era. Um, the biggest one here in America is that if you're a fan of the English Premier League, uh, NBC uh, has the rights. And while most of the games are on their Peacock streaming service, they hold a couple of games and put them on cable TV, which means if you're a cord cutter, you can see all the Premier League games except the two best ones. And for that, you have to buy cable 
which costs a fortune. But you know what? NBC's owned by the cable company. Uh, that's why they do it. <laughs> yep. So that's just I, I don't love I don't love that. Um, but that's where we are. And and that's just the 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 facts. And um if you want to get mad at somebody, I guess get mad at Major League Baseball and the owners of your teams because they're the ones who prioritize money over everything else. They're they're why umpires have cryptocurrency logos on their jerseys. That's why there'll be ads on baseball jerseys next year because of the money. Um, they the the guy who runs Major League Baseball. I gotta say, it's hilar- I didn't know this. That is hilarious to me that the referees got ads before the teams. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Last oh, year. Oh man, that's um, funny. And, and the guy who runs Major League Baseball, uh, Rob Manfred, he is a uh, he, he is a lawyer who was there one of their chief negotiators uh, in fighting against the union, <laughs> and his charter from his owners is very simple, which is if there's any deal you can make that gives us more money, say yes. And so they've got, you know, official gambling partners now. And like, I'm not a fan of the commissioner. I think Major League Baseball is particularly craven. I actually think that making streaming deals is very low on the list of deals that they've made just for the money. But it's it's on the list. So anyway, that, that's that's baseball talk and, and generally sports and streaming. Sports is valuable and it's valuable to streamers. And so in this decade, if you're a fan of sports, you're going to have to deal, you're going to have to navigate all of the different streaming deals that are happening because that's where the money is. And uh, you know what? The the rich people who own teams didn't get rich by not turning down, well, it didn't get rich by turning down somebody handing them a big check. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's part of the rich person deal, I think, is like, hey, here's a deal where the world's most valuable company writes you a big check for a couple of your games every week. It's like, yeah. Take the money. Take the money, Rob. Greg asks, with iOS 16 being released now, is it close enough to release for to upgrade to Ventura on my everyday Mac? Like, how is Ventura right now? Uh, I think it's okay. There's still some quirks. I have had some, um, now that Audio Hijack from Rogue Amoeba works on it, there's still a little a few quirks here and there. It's still in beta. I I don't know. I mean, you've waited this long. Part of my argument might be you've waited this long. You could wait a little bit longer mm-hmm. for them to iron out some of the bugs. But I've also been using it for months now, and it doesn't feel um, particularly um, unstable. So if you wanted to do it, you'll probably be fine. Check to see what's compatible, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the usual caveats apply um, because a lot of your favorite developers are not focused on shipping that Mac update until day one of Ventura. So they may not be there in the beta. And if there are apps you care about, you should ask them, you know, ask them if they're compatible. Ask if there's a test flight that you could get on to yeah. use the beta that is compatible. But in terms of day-to-day kind of use, I've had no issues really with Ventura for months. Yeah, I feel like Mac OS is like, for developer support, for app support, a little bit more precarious than iOS. Just because you could be using many more apps that just don't work anymore because of some security change or some change of some kind. Like, it just feels like because software's been around for way longer on the Mac, like maybe you're relying on something uh, that needs a bit needs some updating, needs some tweaking. I always wait. Like, Mac OS, I know why you do it. You write a review. But, like, for me, I never put Mac OS betas on my machines. And yep, totally get it. I'm going to install Ventura on day one on my on my uh, MacBook Air 
like because I'm really excited about stage manager. I'm like, can't wait. I know it makes. I know it's like not a thing you're used to hearing these days, but like I cannot wait for stage manager on on the Mac. I think it's going to be really great for the way I do my work. But I'm going to hold off like maybe a few extra days, maybe a week or two before I put it on my uh, production, like recording and editing uh, computer, Mm. because I just want to make sure everything is 100% before I do that. It's also a big hassle. And it's the machine that I really don't want anything to go wrong on. It's why, like, uh, you know, I would usually wait like a whole release before upgrading because it was fine. Um, but if I do actually come to really enjoy Sage Manager on the Mac, I will want it on this machine a lot too, uh, as well as just a, my kind of like daily uh, work machine as well. So, but yeah, I, I agree with Jason. If you've gotten to the end of September, just keep waiting. Just wait. Like, just wait. <laughs> You're so close. Just wait. Uh, we would love your Ask Upgrade questions. If you would like to send them in for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Ask Upgrade, or you can use question mark Ask Upgrade in the Relay FM members' Discord, which you get access to if you uh, subscribe to Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com, and you can sign up. It's $5 a month or $50 a year, and you get longer and free versions of every single episode of Upgrade. Thank you so much to everybody that does that, supports the show. It really means a lot to us, and we hope that you enjoy Upgrade Plus uh, for that. So thank you to everybody that does. Uh, I would also like to thank our sponsors of this week's episode. That is New Relic, Rogue Amoeba, ZocDoc, and DoorDash. But of course, thank you for listening. If you want to find Jason's work online, including his iPhone 14 review, which you should go read, go to sixcolors.com. Jason is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am iMike. I-M-Y-K-E. Once again, please go and check out our fundraising campaign for St. Jude. We have just a few more days to go. Go to stjude.org slash relay. And also you can uh, catch our closing ceremonies on September 30th. We're going to be streaming that on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Mike Hurley. I'll go to mike.live for that. And uh, we hope to see you there. As you hang hang out with us, we'll have some fun. Uh, We'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. 